Grace and Peace Church, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, before I get into uh, this passage, um, let me just take the opportunity just to thank you, uh, thank all of you. Some of you have been here since year one. Some of you actually have been here before year one. <laughs> Uh, some of you have been here in year one, year two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Some of you are coming for the first time today. And uh, this has been a work of, of the people. You know, God has not just used me or Marcus or Carter or Sam or Pastor Jesse. Um, he has used you as well. You are part of the work that God is doing here in the city of Miami. So I'm really thankful for you. Uh, my wife and I were grateful um, that uh, we get to shepherd you guys and to have you in our lives. I'm grateful for uh, the men that uh, I get to uh, share ministry with, Carter, Sam, Marcus, Silver, Jesse, Claude, and all the others in our team that have poured in so much uh, throughout these years to get Crossbridge to where it is today. So I'm grateful for their lives. I'm grateful for their loyalty. Uh, we are brothers above all things. And um, uh, we love that about our team. Uh, Debbie Peterson says this is like uh, Camelot. Camelot. And uh, it's true. We do have that type of relationship. Uh, first, we're family. I'm also uh, grateful for, um, you know, Cliff. Cliff is the, uh, the president of, of Gulliver. He's hosting us today. And uh, he's here with his wife, Heather, and their daughter, Elise. So thank you very much, Cliff. Cliff has been a, uh, a dear friend in, in the last couple months. Uh, getting to know him, um, we, we, you know, we just hit it off uh, right from the get-go. And uh, we're excited about the, the dream uh, that we're living right now, and which is becoming a reality uh, in this partnership with Gulliver High School. Um, also grateful to Terry Geiger. He's been my mentor for, uh, for years and actually decades, and he's here today. He's actually the founder of Emmanuel. He's the one responsible for all of this, and it goes all the way back to the mid-70s, and Terry's here, and he's going to share a word in a little bit. So thank you, Terry, for being here with us today. Flew all the way from... Uh, from Atlanta. I was with him in Dallas, and then um, he went home, and then came here, and he's been here with us this weekend. Um, you know, it's really amazing if you're able to stop now and look back. For those of you who were with us at the very beginning, and uh, to see all that God has done. Um, you know, obviously, sometimes I wish that we were further ahead, but, you know, God has done so much. He has done it. I remember um, a month into living in Miami, Beth and I and the kids, we had two at the time. We were living at the downtown Dayland Apartments, and uh, I was overwhelmed one night. I, I went out to uh, uh, the building's rooftop, and it happened to be a really dark, you know, night. And I was looking up into the skies and, uh, you know, feeling that whole darkness sort of envelop me. I was uh, remembering the stories of pastors that I heard as I was moving in. I was meeting with pastors and uh, they've tried to plant the gospel in 
One had been paralyzed in a mysterious disease. It paralyzed him. Another one that had fallen into uh, sexual sin. And, you know, others that the churches were infighting and divisions and all that. And then, and then I thought about, um, you know, the different challenges in the city, the diversity of the city and the changing culture of the city. And I thought about that conversation that I had with a counselor who had told me, hey, what are you doing here? This is a church planter's graveyard. You're coming in from the outside. People that come in from the outside, they never last. I give you about three years here. And then I was feeling so incapacitated, so small. And uh, I remember looking up to heaven and saying, God, if anything is going to happen here, you're going to have to do this. There was a tired church, you know, a group of about 50 or so tired folks. You know, they've been trying so hard for the last several years to keep it afloat, and they were tired. And I looked, God, if you're going to have to do it. And, and now we get to look back, and God has really done it. He's really done it. Um, the, the first decade has been amazing for those who have been in this journey. I know that it has been amazing, but it has been hard too. It has not been easy. It has not been easy. And as I look into the next 10, I can't help but to see that it will be even better than the last 10. Do you agree with me? Do you believe that? I believe that. It's going to be much better, but it will be just as hard, if not harder. You know why? Because we have an enemy, because we're in a fight, but there's hope because there's victory. And I love that today we sang all these songs about victory because that's true. There's victory uh, waiting for us, but there's an enemy, there's a fight. Let's look at all these three things based on this passage. First, there's an enemy. Uh, In verse 12, uh, the apostle Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, here's what Paul is not saying, that our struggle is only spiritual. Paul knew that struggle and evil sometimes showed itself physically. It showed up physically and in flesh and blood to him all the time. Paul had been persecuted. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been opposed. Paul had been arrested. In fact, when he writes this letter, he is in jail. So he's experienced evil in flesh and blood. So what he's saying is uh, our fight is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against the forces of darkness that are at work in this world. And every time, what he's trying to say is, every time that you see evil manifested in opposition, you know, the church in Ephesus was planted against much opposition. Every time that you experience opposition and evil is done, there's darkness. You can assure that there's darkness behind it. You know, the ministry in Ephesus was, was, a, it was very, very hard. Ephesus, in so many ways, uh, is like Miami or was like Miami. Ephesus was a port city, but it was a very idolatrous type of city and type of community. They were the temple keepers for both the emperor and Artemis. 
And if you were to go to Acts 19, it tells you about the, uh, uh, the, the plant of that church and how everything started. And uh, you read about all the opposition that they received as the gospel was going forth because not only was it affecting the spiritual climate of the city, but because it was affecting the spiritual climate of the city, it was also affecting the business of the city. And they were obviously opposed uh, to that which Paul and his friends were doing and starting and planting the gospel in that city. You know, ministry in Miami is equally hard. I have learned this through these 10 years of being here. Uh, it is equally hard. Uh, this is a very expensive city. Uh, this is a transient city throughout the years. One of the most painful things that we have to go through, and my wife and I, we've experienced this a lot, is you meet people, you love on them, you pour on them, and then all of a sudden they're gone. They're, else, they're elsewhere in the world. Either they're transferred by their companies or they can't handle uh, the pressure here in Miami. But it's a very transient city, and because it's transient, it's very very difficult to do ministry. Um, it's a superficial city as well. People are very materialistic. It's an image-driven city. And this is a pleasure-seeking city. People come here to have fun and to party. And a lot of people actually move here for that very reason. Now, now here's, here's what I want us to understand and why God, I think, put this passage in my heart to share with you today. Uh, we can look at all these obstacles that we have here in Miami and we can say that, you know, this is what we're really up against. We're really up against the materialism of the city, the superficiality of the city. We're against, we're, we're against the uh, social and cultural dynamics of our city. And this, this is what makes ministry hard here. And yes, all those things are important factors when you think about the difficulty of ministry here in Miami. But if Paul is right, and if the Bible is true then what we're really up against is the forces of darkness that are working as hard as we are to push back the expanse of the church here in our city. You know, and, and the devil uses these things that are on the surface to push back the work of the church in the city. It, you know, he comes to people and he says, you know, look, this is very expensive. You can have a lot more real estate in North Carolina. <laughs> the people here are, are, are mean. They're, other places in, in the country, they're much nicer. You know, because it's image-driven and materialistic, a lot of us get into the cycles of work, and all of a sudden we're overworking, and then we're overspending, and then we're in trouble. You know, and, and we're alone because that's all we do in life. And the devil is saying, go, push a little harder, push a little harder, push a little harder. Church and God and the work of Jesus, I mean, put that at the back end. You know, this is the time for you to make it, right? He uses the social dynamics. He uses the obstacles that are on the surface to keep the church for going forward. This is what we're really up against, guys. Now, <laughs> I can hear some of you uh, probably saying this in your head, come on, pastor. On your 10th year anniversary, you're telling us about the reality and the existence of a devil. Um, shouldn't this be a little bit more uplifting? And, and by the way, this is 2018. A lot of us don't believe in that. 
And, and I just want you to pause for a second. You know, they say that about 80% of Americans believe in the existence of God. And I would expect that here in Miami, probably the percentage is higher because we have a religious background. You know, most of us that live here come from Latin countries and probably the percentage is a little higher. Uh, church attendance is low, but, you know, belief in God is probably high. If it's logical to believe in an all-good, all-knowing, all-loving God, wouldn't it be logical also to believe in an all-evil being that's opposing this all-good being, which is God? You know, I I think that uh, the reason why I wanted to share this with you is that we need to grow in the awareness of the existence of the spiritual world and the context by which we find ourselves doing ministry in. You know, one of the strategies of the devil, I don't know if you've seen the usual suspects, there's a line in there that says the devil's greatest trick was to make the world believe that he does not exist. See, it's interesting because ignorance plays in his favor. And so one of the things that us modern scientific people have said is, oh, no, I don't believe in that. And that's great for him because he has all the freedom to work behind the scenes And I want us, as we look into our next decade, to be really mindful of that and aware that he is here trying to push back the work of our church. He is here trying to destroy your families, destroy your marriages, destroy the lives of your children. And this is what we're up against. And we have to fight smarter because there is a fight. This is the point too, right? We wrestle. Look at the word. We wrestle. We wrestle. You know, the Greek word that appears uh, and is translated as wrestle is the uh, Greek word agonia, where we get the word agony from. And he is giving here us a picture of a fight that's done and in close range, not, not at a distance with bows and arrows and guns, but it's done in proximity as if you were fighting for your life on the ground. And therefore, we must be aware of that. The devil is close. He's near. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking for a prey to destroy. And we are the object of his attack. It's close. You know, sometimes you will feel it really close to you in your home and in your workspace. And sometimes it's palpable. And it's also a smart fight. You know, the, dev- the devil is intelligent. He's a smart fighter. In verse 11, go to verse 11, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the schemes of the devil. You know, the word there for schemes in Greek is the word methodeia, where we get the word method from. And what this means is that the devil has a portfolio of strategies customized to each one and to each culture. So the strategy that he uses here in Miami is not necessarily the strategy that he uses in New York. The strategy that he uses in your life is not necessarily the strategy that he uses in my life. The strategy that he uses in your family is not necessarily the strategy that he uses in my family. But at the Bottom of it all, the way he works is by broadcasting his lies. You know, in fact, the name devil, diabolos in Greek, means uh, the one who lies and the one who slanders. 
It's actually a verb to lie and to slander. And basically, the devil lies and slanders in two ways. This is how this fight plays out. Number one, he lies and slanders through accusation. You know, accusation is the devil wanting you to believe that you are actually lower than you actually are, than yourself. He gives you a low view of self. He takes breaches in your life, moments and thoughts that you have, and, and, and uh, that are reflected in certain actions that you take in life, and he uses that as breaches. When you don't think too well of yourself, he goes in and he amplifies that to a degree to get you to feel lower than you actually are. And so in terms of uh, this vision that we have in front of us, we, we are a family of churches seeking the renewal of cities, not just Miami, but of cities through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a big vision. We want to continue to plant the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the cities of this world are renewed with the gospel. And the way we do that is by renewing churches and planting churches. And it's a big vision. It's already gone out of Miami. It's now into South America. There's already an expression of Crossbridge in Sao Paulo in Brazil. If you happen to go there, you'll see. You can worship with them. But the devil comes in as an accuser, and he says, That's, that vision is too big. That vision is too hard. It's too expensive. It's too costly. You cannot do it. That's what he does. He accuses us. And then he also tempts us. That's the other way in which his lies are broadcast into our lives. He tempts us. Not by giving us a lower view of self, but by giving us a higher view of self. He comes to us and, 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 and in temptation he says, you can actually do this by yourself. You don't need God's help. You don't need God's support. You can do it. You have the skills. You have the intelligence. You have the experience. You know, this was... The weakness of the church in Ephesus. If you know anything about the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was a great church. It was a sending church. It was a church planting church in Paul's days. Many great teachers had gone into Ephesus and they had been equipped in Ephesus and they had been supported out of Ephesus and they've gone on to new fields to plant the gospel. They were a very talented, resourceful church. And if you read Revelations chapter 2, one of the words of Jesus to uh, the church in Ephesus. Jesus actually shows up and he says, you guys have lost, you, great, you know, all this stuff is great. Great teachers, a lot of resources, great vision, but you guys have lost your first love. You are too self-sufficient. You have started loving other things more than me. And that's when we give in to temptation. So, so here is the practical application of the dynamics of this fight. We cannot... We must not underestimate the devil. See, in verse 12, why does he list all these complicated names? You know, I've been to bib biblical commentaries, and what does he mean with all these different expressions of, 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 of persons of darkness and entities of darkness? It's because he's saying, look, how sophisticated the devil is and how sophisticated his work is and, 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 and how hidden sometimes his work is. It's in the shadows that he works. You can't see it sometimes. It's very sophisticated. So you must not underestimate the devil. But you must not overestimate him either. In one hand, he says, 
in verse 12, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then he says, be strong in the Lord, but we should not overestimate him either. Because victory is secured. It's saying here, you will stand. You should expect success. See, in, in underestimating the devil, we rely too much on ourselves. And in overestimating the devil, we, gave, we give in to negativity. We give in to cynicism. But he says, don't be cynical. Don't run. Don't be negative. You will stand. That leads us to our last point that there is victory. And here, here, here's why our victory is secured, right? Here's why we can look into the next decade and expect the kingdom of God to still go forward, even though it will continue to be hard. There's two reasons for that. Number one, because of the one who fights for us. And then number two, because of what we have at our disposal. Let, let me remind you through these verses of who fights for us. In verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In the Lord in the New Testament is always a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has received the covenantal name of God, the Lord. You know, on Friday night, we had a founder's dinner, and, and Terry was there, and he was encouraging us at that founder's dinner. And one of the things that Terry said that I thought it was key to uh, what we're talking about here today. He said, you know, no one is happier and no one loves Crossbridge more than Jesus. Do you believe that? No one loves this church and no one's happier about this church than Jesus. I love Crossbridge. Many of you love Crossbridge, but Jesus loves Crossbridge more. This is his church. And he, therefore, fights for his church. The church in the New Testament is even portrayed as his bride. He loves her and he fights for her. He gave his life for her. The previous chapter, chapter 5, remember, Jesus gave his life for the church. Now, here's the danger that we run is to think that we're the ones that love the church the most, even the expression in the local church, and we forfeit the power that is in Jesus, the one who fights for the church, and say, Jesus, thank you very much. I'm going to take this burden upon myself. Sometimes I, as a leader, I'm doing that. Sometimes our leaders are doing that. I notice that I'm taking this burden upon myself to make it happen. And Jesus says, why would you want to do that? <laughs> That's how you get weary and tired and burn out. See, one of the, one of the ways you know that you are forfeiting this blessing, this promise that Jesus fights for us, is when you are completely exhausted. Even individually, even personally, when you feel like absolutely exhausted, you know why that's the case? Because you've been fighting a fight that Jesus could be fighting for you. <laughs> we don't want to be that as a people. We want Jesus to fight for us. We want him to go ahead of us. We want to follow him. This is his church. We got remember that in the years ahead. You are his people. You are his possession. But also, there's victory because of what we have at our disposal. 
in verse 10 and in verse 13, Paul says it again in these short number of verses. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, now, now here, here's what I want you to understand and see. Who was, whose armor is this? This is God's armor. Uh, here's a piece of information that I want you uh, to have as you process this. When Paul wrote this, he was in chains, and he was chained to a Roman centurion day and night. A Roman centurion who was wearing an armor, and that gave him the imagination to see what our relationship with Jesus is like in Christ, we are one. We share union with Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. He is saying, you know, earthly speaking, I am chained to this Roman centurion who is wearing an armor. But spiritually speaking, I am chained to Christ who is a warrior and fights for me. And we as a church, he's encouraging the church in Ephesus, encouraging us. We as a church are charged to put on the armor of Christ. That is the gospel. You know, the union that we share with Christ is fantastic because it, it shows this exchange. See, the gospel tells us that Christ wore our flesh so that we can wear his armor. When you go and you read the following verses, the list of the elements and the objects of that armor, he talks about the belt of truth. Whose truth is it that we are to cover ourselves with? Not our truth. Jesus' truth. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness are we dressed with? Not ours, but the righteousness of Christ. He talks about the shoes that are the gospel of peace. Whose gospel is it that we're taking out and walking in? The gospel of Jesus, not our gospel. We can all, only offer good advice, not good news. And he talks about the shield of faith. Whose faith? Faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2. It's not our faith. It's been gifted to us. And then he lastly talks about the helmet of salvation. It's God who saves, not us. And we fight with the sword of the Spirit, not through our own strength and might. So you know what it means to put on the full armor of Christ? It's to put on the gospel. To put on the gospel. See, many of us in churches in America are guilty of that. We put armors that do not fit us. Remember when David went into battle against Goliath? King Saul says, you know, you're going to go to battle with that giant. you got to at least have an armor. Here's my armor. David put Saul's armor on. He started to walk around, and it didn't fit. It was too big. It was too heavy. He says, I want no armor. I'm going in the name of the Lord. He is the one who I am dressed with. I wear him, and I wear him with confidence. You know, many of us are wearing the armor of resources. We're wearing the, the armor of pragmatism. We are wearing the armor of entertainment. We're wearing all these armors that don't fit us, and and Jesus is saying, you know, victory is secure because I fight for you. But number two, because if you wear the gospel as an armor, you will stand. You will stand. Not only will you stand the next decade, but decades to come. So church, wear the gospel and stand. Let me pray. Father, um, we're grateful 
because you fight for us. And you have given us this amazing resource, which is the gospel. By way of, of the gospel, we uh, can fight in inferiority. Uh, Father, we can fight the sense of superiority because the gospel both humbles us and the gospel encourages us. We are saved by grace, not because of anything in us, but we are absolutely loved by you. You had to die for us, but you were glad to die for us. And so, Father, for the next 10, I pray that we as a church would just wear the gospel as an armor, that our leaders and our pastors would help equip the people in putting this armor on, Father, so that we will stand, and we are sure that we will stand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.